Welcome to Series 7, Episode 2. I'm Kirsty Rice and together with Nikki Moffat, we're the two fat expats. We've been expats for over 20 years. I guess we're what you'd call serial expats. We have over 12 countries between us. We've had babies all over the place, jobs in some really weird places, and we've navigated relationships and a little bit of family drama along the way. Each week on the podcast, we promise to give you the lowdown on expat life. We answer an anonymous question by tracking down the experts and we discuss our favourite finds, our biggest stuff-ups and we get the best tips for packing it all in. Okay, you ready? Let's do this. Hello there, Nikki Moffat. How are you? I'm Fine, thank you, Kirsty Rice. It looks like it's heated up a little bit there for you. We were talking about your cooler weather last week. My El Nino. My El Nino is gone It is now sunny and lovely. I've been out for lunch at Darrenberg Winery. I don't know if you've heard of them, Nikki, or we went to Darius oh, yes. on the veranda. Yes, you're familiar. Uh, how are you, Nikki? I'm fine, thank you, Kirsty. We got our little snow. We didn't get our 60 centimetres as promised by the crazy weather people, but we got a few little centimetres this week. And so once again, it's like minus 11 outside at the moment. But if there's snow, it's somehow much, much, much more bearable. So a little bit of snow still around on the ground. How's your lockdown situation? Are you all you're not back in the office but you go to the office at certain times on your own is that right yeah that's right so we're still in yesterday germany extended the lockdown for another four weeks because although all our numbers are going down we have the very scary variants that are that are passing around very quickly. And so we don't want them, if we ease any of the lockdowns, Angela says, you know, we could, that could go crazy. Germany are well behind where they would like to be on their vaccination program. And so we don't sort of have the luxury of being, you know, of making any mistakes at the moment. So that's where we are. None of us are very happy, but it is what it is. And we're just soldiering on. Okay, Nikki. My new favourite thing this year that we're doing is our anonymous question. This week's question, I think most people who have been partnered up in the expat world would be telling a big fat expat fib if they didn't say that maybe once in the in a dark little recess of their mind that this hadn't sort of occurred to them of how would this pan out <laughs> for me? So Nikki, I'm going to read you the question that came through this week. And then we're going to go and talk to the experts, which we've hunted down. But first of all, here is the question. My husband and I have been married for 18 years. And for the past three of those, I've been filled with doubt. I'm pretty sure he's either had or is having an affair. I'm seriously contemplating leaving and heading home but I'm not even sure where to start. Not only do I have COVID to consider, but I feel like I need to be more organized. What sort of details should I know? Or is there something I should be aware of? Is there some sort of checklist somewhere for making sure you understand your finances or your legal rights? So, Nikki, you and I both have some women that we we both have had different dealing with in a a different world. and I think it's time that we introduce them. So uh, I met 
Carolyn and Gillian oh, over five years ago because it was pre-cancer, I think, um, met them at a blogging conference where they had started a website called The Champagne Cartel and they were all about, you know, living your best life and making time for you, do you know, like not putting yourself last as often we mothers and um, perhaps partners do you know we're too worried about making sure everybody else is okay and they were just really good good fun and I I really enjoyed them and then I think Nikki I introduced them to you online when they started their podcast and you helped you know edit their podcast for them and then a couple of years ago both of their lives just blew up where they ended up both getting divorced there and for Gillian in particular who um, I will talk to shortly Gillian was completely blindsided by the end of her marriage she had no idea it was coming and basically her husband just one day said I'm not in love with you anymore and I don't want to be married and Gillian if if anyone has experienced any of this or is going through something I highly recommend going to the Champagne Cartel and reading some of Gillian's writing writing about it because I think yes it was beautiful yeah it really was wasn't it beautiful how she expressed herself anyway out of the darkness and the grief and the end of what was they have now developed, the two of them, the Divorce Club, which I think, <laughs> I mean, it sounds so macabre to be elated and joyful about the end of a marriage, but I think they've just done such a good job with uh, what could have been a terrible, terrible experience. They have turned into, okay, well, let's make the very best of this. What do we do? So, um I guess, Nikki, maybe we'll start with me asking Gillian to explain exactly what the Divorce Club is and we'll have a listen, okay? Champagne Divorce Club um, was created um, because of my situation and my business partner. We both, Carolyn and I, ended up being separated within a year of each other, which was completely insane. Um, And, you know, when we went through it and we realised it was so hard and it was such a difficult time, we battled through and what we wanted to do was to actually help women going through this really difficult time of separation and divorce. So, you know, Champagne Divorce Club is really about us helping to turn women's divorces and separations into the best thing that happened to them, which we know sounds completely crazy. Um, but what we've learned by going through it is that you will come out the other side and you will feel more amazing than ever before. So what Champagne Cartel, what Champagne Cartel did with this is we went, we want to do a program that's actually going to be practical, but we also want expert help in there. So we pulled together a panel of 20 plus amazing experts. Um, and we've created this um, first of its kind membership program. Um, that's going to help women to navigate their separation and divorces. You know, our goal is that we want women to come out the other side better, happier, more fabulous than you ever could have imagined, and that's what we've done. So, you know, we've got um, educational content in there. We've got industry-leading experts. We've got an amazing supportive community, which is run through Facebook, and we've got lots of real women with inspiring stories, Um 
you know, it's all it's all interactive, the Champagne Divorce Club. So it's interactive. It's very much video-based. And what we want to do is to teach women going through divorce and separation how to not only survive the tough bits, but to harness this life change as the incredible opportunity that it actually is. It's this time when you can dream big about what you want for your new life. And, you know, really it's whether you've been thinking about separation or you've been on your own for a while, you might need some help kickstart starting that fresh beginning. We've pretty much got tools, knowledge, expert guidance, everything you're going to need to turn your divorce into the best thing that ever happened to you. Kirsty, so great to hear, Delian. I just want to say in terms of, you know, what she says about experts and people and have people having experience around you that have gone through it, a supportive community, we all look for those things as expats and we all seek them out deliberately. But when you're an expat, having those experts lined up and having that supportive community is just that tiny bit harder. You know, you might have your bestie that's just left or in a different time zone or you might have someone you really want to talk to, but they're not in your immediate community. And I just, I think it's it's great to think that, okay, even if that's not there, I can still build a community to do this. You know, you can still sort of think that you still can do it, even though it feels like a little bit out of your reach. I went on and asked Gillian sort of what were some of the steps you can do to get prepared or get a bit organized? And also, how do you handle it if you think someone's gaslighting you? Like if someone keeps telling you, no, you're crazy. There's nothing going on. Um, How do you deal with that? So let's have a listen to what Gillian said. Yeah, so it's a, I mean, this is an incredibly difficult time. You know, when someone's, when you're really, really worried that there's something going on here, you know, you'll be thinking about it all the time. It will be really absorbing. Um, And one of the things we talk to people about is to say, you know, try and take, take a breath, take a step back from it and go and talk to someone. I mean, that's really the first thing that, that, um, we always recommend to everyone is to, to go and talk to someone and get some advice if you can. So that might be a psychologist. It, you might go and get some early legal help even. Um, really it's about sort of taking that step back and getting some help there, getting some expert help. So I know that, you know, counselling can be something for people, psychology, whatever it is might be that you talk to um, a very, very close friend that you have. You know, it might be that you go and um, talk to a confidant about it. But get out get out, um, and have a bit of a, a talk to someone and really think about what, what's actually going on here. Um, you know, from there, if you start to really think that, you know, something is happening, of course, that communication with your husband or partner is really important as well. So I, I know that from talking to people who have been through separation and divorce, what many of us, including myself, will say is that um, there was a lot of things that were unspoken. There was a lot of communication that didn't happen. And that's that doesn't necessarily mean that if we had communicated, the relationship would have been fine, but it's a step forward there and perhaps actually then getting some resolution on what is going on might might that might be the first steps to doing that as well so that's really important is that communication with your partner or or your ex you know the thing is that 
you know, you're not going crazy. You're not, you have every right to know what's happening and to try and actually understand. You've got to look after you. You have to prioritise you. You know, at Champagne Cartel, we've been um, helping women for over eight years now. And, you know, our mission is to share our knowledge and the advice of experts, but it's really about prioritising yourself and helping you to live life that you've always wanted. So this is a time now to prioritise yourself and go, what do I want to happen here? Mm. And how am I going to get that to happen? Um, And, you know, we can't talk to anyone else's um, thoughts of what they want to happen, but that's really such an important step in this process. I think the points there are really good, Kirsty, that Gillian talked about, you know, you shouldn't stop communicating with your partner. Because when you're thinking about things that that could be something that you do, you shut down because you're worried about saying something that might give away how you're thinking or how you're feeling. And if you are feeling this way, communication might not be in the best place altogether. But also not to think that you're crazy is really important because... I think I'm crazy all the time. But you can really get in that headspace. And that's why I think it is important to talk to somebody. She talks about getting the early legal advice, but not necessarily just that, but just talking to somebody to say, look, these are all the thoughts and feelings I'm having. And, you know, please tell me I'm not crazy or please help me sort through them or whatever. Because communication in any way, shape or form is really important with friends, with your partner, with your family just so people are in a position to support you if they need to be. And I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes the longer you're married, the worse you can be at this because you are so convinced that you know what your partner is thinking. Oh, he'll always say that. Oh, he always does that. You know, that'd be typical. He'd be thinking this. And then when you actually sit down and have a conversation, you find out, no, it was completely the opposite and they were feeling, you know, exactly the same way. Now, on the other side of that, if they are gaslighting you, I was really interested to hear from Gillian about, well, what about if you're worried that someone's being really sneaky with the finances? And this is what she said. Yeah, that's an enormous thing. And we had a really great session a couple of weeks ago with um, a woman who's a um, a life assistant, and she said to us that she um, work, has worked with a couple of women actually prior to their separation and divorce um, and then a number of other women after and to get their finances in order. And one of the pieces of advice she said, and this is really relevant for all women, is that we all should have a much better picture of the, our financial situation. Mm-hmm. So whether you're happily married thinking about separating or have been blindsided by separation, then, you know, really finding out what your financial and administrative situation is is incredibly important. So getting things like logins, finding out bank account details, um, you know, making sure that you know how to access things on the computer, that you've got the files that you need, you know, we all should have this and um, it was certainly something that I battled with um, when I, my husband um, left and it was very sudden and I actually was left without access to a whole lot of bank accounts and things like that and it really um, took me a number of months to try and wade through this absolute mountain of life admin. Yes. So I 
So, you know, that's something is to sort of get your ducks in a row there. And, it, you know, it'll put you in good stead whether you, you know, if if this is sort of just a, a blip on the radar in the relationship and everything works out and it's wonderful, it's a great thing to do anyway, to have a really good handle on your financial situation and your admin. So, Nikki, th- this is my wheelhouse, right, Nikki? This is where I'm, I'm always on the bandwagon because... Um, those that have been long-term listeners know that I worked for the Barefoot Investor for years and one of my jobs there was, um, you know, going through the mountain of questions that he would get. And it was just amazing how many women there were that did not have control of their finances for a start. Now, I know with you, Nikki, we've talked about this before, that's not you, is it? Because you are, you're the one that's dealing with all, with the home admin yeah, mostly, mostly I deal with the home admin. But I think, look, we've said many, many times, admin is important when you're expats. Admin is important uh, regardless, obviously. But when you're expats, admin is really important. So having the cheat sheet in the safe or having the shared, as my husband and I have, a shared um, password uh, you know, super password keeper that we both have access to, all that kind of stuff is important because, you know, if you walk out the door one day and something happens, regardless, you have to be able to access that information and, and be able to be on top of it. So, and as an expat, that adds that extra layer because you're dealing with people in different countries, in different languages, all that kind of stuff. So yes, admin's important. Yes, finance is one part of admin, but there is there are other parts of admin as well too. So I think that it's obviously it's it's a no-brainer that everyone should just have sort of a bit of a life audit and make sure that they feel that they are at a comfortable level of what they need to know and how and how that information is shared yeah so what i was interested in though with jillian is if you if you are in a tricky relationship and you feel that they that that it's kind of the the unsaid it's the elephant in the room and then you're thinking, well, if I suddenly start asking lots of questions about finance and whatever, like how how do you how do you go about finding out those things if you think you're in a tricky situation? And that's what I wanted to ask Gillian. That is such a tricky question. And I think every situation there is going to be different. Mm. Um, what I would say is that whatever approach you take, it has to be something that feels very comfortable for yeah. you and it's natural like it can't it can't feel like this sort of forced situation if the relationship is really feeling like it's on the rocks and that you don't have healthy communication with your husband or your partner it's going to, it, it's going to be problematic to have that conversation um and i think it's going to be a hard one and it might be worthwhile even one of the things that we have or we do always recommend is that people go out and start having early legal advice if they're really thinking this is a path that they're going to go down is talking just having an initial conversation with a lawyer and saying this is where I'm at what should I be doing because you know that it, it can be really tricky on the other hand as a, a wife or a partner in a situation you have every right to know this information and to be privy to the household finances and administration. Yes. And that's, you know, that's a basic right within a marriage that you would have that information. 
So it's that's not to say that all marriages, of course, work like that, and that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to do, but I would say that that's something to keep in mind, that you have a right to ask those questions. It's really about whether it feels comfortable or whether you think that it's going to actually create problems. Yeah, that that's a great reiteration, Kirsty, of, of sort of where we were going with our conversation as well. So that there are difficult conversations, but I'm interested in, you know, what Gillian might have done differently or how she would have approached things. Good, because I asked her exactly that. Let's have a listen. Yeah, um, I mean, there are a couple of things. Um, one is having a team around you, um, friends, professionals, people that are going to help you through this tough time or the tougher time in the future that might be ahead as well, like if you do go into separation and divorce. So, um, you know, we have an expert family law solicitor who's on our our panel in the Champagne Divorce Club and she talks a lot about um, that you really need to get organise a group of people in your life that are going to get you through that time. So it could be close family and friends, but are there other people that can help you right now? You know, do you need to, can you talk to a, a bank manager or an accountant or a financial advisor? Are there, are there some things there that you can start to do? Maybe, you know, do you need to go to a GP? And this is sort of relevant perhaps more so in those early days of separation, but I would say beforehand as well, if you're thinking it's going to go down that path or it could go, the more prepared you can be, yes. the better off be. So, you know, it might be a GP, it might be, you know, the psychologist, it might be your best friend, your family. The thing is, is whatever happens from this point forward, life is going to look really different in the future. If you are able to resolve this situation in your marriage, then that's fantastic. But I would say, you know, if you're going through this phase, it's really important to maybe get some help in your marriage in the future to, to make sure it's as strong and robust as possible. But mm. if it goes the way, you know, your life is going to look really different um, and you don't know what you don't know and, um you know, the more prepared and armed with useful information and advice you can be, that you can be, the better off you'll be. Um, you know, every separation, every family situation is different. What is right for one family may not be right for your family, but the main thing is that you've really got to look after yourself, ask for help and really take care of yourself. You know, that's one thing um, that I would say. The other thing um, is that trying to remember as well to focus on each day as it comes um, and trying not to go too far into the future of thinking about all the what-ifs and, you know, because right now you're in a situation you don't know what the future holds right now. Um, this person needs a lot of information. They really need to find out what's going on. There's a lot to, that, that could happen and I think it's so important to stay in the now. We recommend um, not just in our Champagne Divorce Club, but in all our Champagne Cartel programs, we say to people, meditate, do gratitude exercises, go out and walk in nature, all those really boring things <laughs> that, <laughs> that you hear you're supposed to do. But honestly, when you're going through such a difficult time, 
it's very, very important to really make sure that you prioritise yourself. Um, and, you know, doing all those things is, is incredibly important, I think. So, so Kirsty, that, that was a lot of good stuff that Gillian just said. And the one day at a time and the focusing on yourself are really important things. And that is the same in expat life. When you're about to move or you've just done a move or you're having a dip, one day at a time, sister, and focus yeah. on yourself. I know. Why is it always so boring? Why is it always like, yes, just eat better food and exercise? Okay, on that, Nikki, I did ask my final question to Gillian was about, um, you know, where is she now? What is the light at the end of the tunnel for her? Um, and how does life look for her now? Um, my life, I can honestly say, is so much more amazing and incredible than I ever could have imagined um, before. When my husband left, it was the worst thing that I could have ever imagined happening, truly. It was my life was ripped out from under me. It was, it, it, it was absolutely horrific. And what happens is you have dreams for the future. You imagine what your life is going to be like you know, in 20 years with your husband when you retired and all these sort of things, you've got a picture in your head of what your life looks like. All of a sudden your life doesn't look like that anymore. It looks like nothing like what you imagined. Um, what I can say is, yes, of course, that was a scary time. I would um, never, ever want to go back to where I was before. I had a conversation the other day actually with someone about this exact topic and I said it's really it is really sad that there's such a terrible view and that the discussion around divorce and separation is so negative there's no doubt that it is a very hard time to go through it is really really tough there are months and, and months of tough times because you're changing your life completely however what isn't talked about is the rainbow, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. We're not hearing about that. We're hearing all the, the horror stories. And what Carolyn and I want to do is to, um, with Champagne Divorce Club, is to actually really get people to know that you're turning a divorce into the best thing that happened to you is actually possible. It truly is. You know, what we want to say to people is that one day in the not-too-distant future, you're going to look back on this breakup as the turning point in your life you know, when you can actually step into your true self, you can take yes. control of your life. It's like, it's like nothing else that you've ever done. Um, and it's really, it's wonderful and liberating. And, you know, I, you know, and it's, it's difficult to talk about it with people that can't even contemplate it because you can't imagine it. You just go, what? I can't imagine how that would be. There's no way that it's going to be a good time. And it's, and it's not during the process, it is hard, but it's like any big change in your life. They're often very difficult. Um, but, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. So I would say don't, don't stay where you are um, if you're not happy. If you think there is more for you, don't stay where you are. There is, there is a way to do it. There is a way to turn your divorce or separation to the best thing that happened to you. So, yeah. Rainbows, Kirsty. Rainbows. 
Let's look for rainbows. <laughs> okay, Nikki, so that's our second anonymous question and I thought that was great and I think we um, found some great experts to answer answer for us. So if you have an anonymous question out there that you would like to ask and something in your expat life, please just DM either Nikki or I, either in the Too Fat expats facebook group you can find both of us there as admins and dm either of us um, and we will get on to it we'll do the research spend the time find the people and uh answer what we can okay nikki i am particularly confused about something that is going <laughs> on in your life this week um so you've been all over the Two Fat Expats group asking about adult passports versus children's passports and what the legalities are of needing what sort of passport for what what sort of child. And I've seen all sorts of answers and I've seen all sorts of drama. And it's really as a mother of a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old, I'm thinking, hang on, why has this never been a problem for me? Why, you know, and, and it's had me searching back through the safe, through the kids' passports going, in fact, as we're talking, Nikki, I have my 20-year-old's passport here in front of me because I was like, I need to check what's different about it. So all I can say is her passport was done when she was 17. So, um, and I can't, What's the validity for how many years is it valid? Ten years. Okay, so that's an adult passport. Oh. Children's passports are only valid for five years maximum. Right. So that's the big difference between going from a child's passport to an adult passport is the ten years validity. So That is the key. You're saying that when she was 17, someone must have said to us, hey, you better get an adult passport because she's going to be an adult next year or it just happened no, that way? It, it just happened that way. So here's what you, what you find out when you go down to the nitty-gritty is that, and thank you to everyone that responded to my question in uh, Two Fat Expats because I, I, I myself unearthed a, a deep range of information mm. and further information when I was speaking to the consular officials via email yesterday. Uh, so... Basically, if you're an overseas uh, applicant for an Australian passport, there is only one passport application that you use. Even though you go into the system and you do the, am I, starts right at the beginning. Am I applying for a passport overseas or in Australia? Once you click, I'm applying from overseas, uh -huh. it directs you down a path that will get you to, because then it said, to, everyone said to me in the group, no, your son is 17. In fact, he's 18 on Saturday, but I need the passport before next Saturday, but I need the passport before then. <laughs> so uh, for reasons. But when you go into the passport application, it says, are you under 18 or over 18? So I chose under 18 because when we're submitting the application, he will be under 18. And then I said to the consular people, is this going to be a problem because I'm submitting a child application? And they said, no, no, it's just the one application. We only process one kind of overseas application. So basically, in, here's the deal. 
And and it was interesting because Australians in different countries told me things and they've had different experiences in those countries uh-huh. to what I have had, yes. which I found fascinating. Yes. So when I was in all the other countries I've lived in until now, I've never had to take a child with me to renew a passport application. I have had to go as the parent in person to renew the application, but I've never had to have my child with me. Whereas Australians in, in the US have said to me, oh, I had to take my child. Yes. Never have. I have. When your child is when your child is 16 or 17, they must go with you for the renewal. Right. Because that is when they'll be going on to this magical 10-year passport. Uh-huh. So they have to be verified as a real-life person. And so once your child is 16 or 17, they must go with you. And that's what the information I got from the consulate in Berlin yesterday. And that's why today... After we get off the podcast, Kirsty, I'll be jumping in the car and doing the seven-hour via car round trip to Berlin to have the 15 minutes in the consulate to get two new passports. And, of course, in any other year, in a non-pandemic year, you would have looked at your kids' passports mm. because you would have been going somewhere. But in the last 12 months, I haven't had to yes. open my kids' passports once. I haven't had to say, hey, I wonder when this expires. So, yeah, so that's where we're at. So you get an adult passport. When you're Australian, you get an adult passport slash 10-year passport for your children once they're in the 16 to 17-year age range. So there you go. You should have three kids with 10-year passports and one with a (laughs) five-year. So, Kirsty, my question is, uh, well, to you, to everyone, to myself, what, what if the pandemic... I'm sorry, we're still talking about COVID. But what if it goes on for years and have we made the wrong decision to stay away? And and when will we know that? And this comes from, and I know, Kirsty, you know this because you and I have discussed this, but my husband and I having absolutely conflicting views about what the Australian government is doing with mm. overseas returning Australians and how what the access is like. And we just had another conversation this week about... My husband saying, well, you know, we chose to stay. I said, we didn't choose to stay. We were living here. We had a life. You know, our children were in school. Uh, You know, it wasn't that if you'd lost your job, that's a different thing. But we didn't choose to stay. We just were living here. And he says, no, it was a choice we made. You know, when the government said you should come home now, I said, did you really think that that was an option? And he said, yeah, I said to you should we go home and you said no I said because I didn't think it was a real conversation because there was no way of knowing in January 2020 that we would be where we are now and so my point is if we're still here in January 2024 and we haven't been able to get to Australia at all will we have made the wrong decision and yeah will we regret it I guess it's I, I only know. something you can answer. But, do you know, I, I understand exactly what Sam, your husband, is saying because I did see people that chose to go home, do you know, that said, oh, this pandemic isn't, this isn't going to be pretty, do you know, this isn't for me. Yeah. So I do think about people that were very open about it. I think about journalists, you know, that chose to go back to Australia you know I've 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 got a lot of friends who are journalists and I think of one that's sort of you know living sort of near me now and she chose to leave uh, Indonesia and come home 
Um, and then just, and I, I remember thinking, gee, that's brave because what if you don't get another job? Because I think, Nikki, you and I are in that same situation of we would never leave without another job. Do you know, we've got children to educate, we've got mortgages to pay, we've got you yeah. know, a life to live. And so it's like, well, how, how long would it take you to get a job in Australia? You know, how would that look? Now, I can't say exactly what would have happened to us because our situation is so unique in that my husband was diagnosed with cancer. We had to, you know, skid out of home. I've got three children here. But I'm about to be in this situation where my husband goes back to Qatar. I stay here with the children until I know that I can travel back and forth because I can't leave the children here on their own. And I and same sort of thing. It's like, oh, how long is this going to go for? Now, I, I read a prediction yesterday that... And, and that is with the whole vaccine rollout and how long a herd immunity would happen. And, you know, the figures they had for the US would, it would, would, is it's the end of 2022 before there is a herd immunity in the US. And so you look at that and go, well, how does that work? And I mean, you're in a different situation than me, Nikki, in that you're away from your father, you're away from your brother, um, you're away from nieces and nephews and it's like trying to think well is it really going to be years before you see them and then I see some hopeful I think of our friend Kelly who's in Singapore who I was really starting to think oh she's never going to get home and it looks like she is now currently in a quarantine hotel I hope she doesn't mind us outing her like this but it looks like she's <laughs> currently in a quarantine she seems to be sharing things online yes, so I think that's okay I don't think she'll mind but she's here putting her <laughs> eldest daughter into university right and I just thought when I knew her daughter was going to university and the idea of her being stuck in Singapore and her daughter coming on her own and her missing all of that I just found incredibly sad and heartbreaking now I hope what happens is she can now fly back to Singapore and you know maybe she'll get back here again in six months time now I'm okay with that but I know that there is a a, a horde of screaming online uh, people that would be ready to get her with a pitchfork saying you should not be coming back to Australia because people can't get in who have dying parents and you know the rest of it um I don't know. Back to your your look, original yeah, look, question. Have we made the wrong decision to stay away? That's only a question you can answer. And I guess if you really start to believe you've made the wrong decision, that is when you start to consider coming home. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with that. I just want to qualify my situation one more because I sounded really flippant at the beginning. When we talked about it in January 2020, and it was not a serious discussion, but it was a, uh, it was a discussion that we had. I had a son who we had just been through all sorts of visa hoops so we could stay here in Germany for him to finish his two years of final schooling. So we were six months into that and I was thinking we've got 18 months to go, you know, like let's just get there. Now, if I had known then what I know now, would I have made a different decision? Maybe. Would I have just written off one year of school and said, okay, we'll just go and do two years of school somewhere else? Maybe. 
I mean, the position that he's in now is really, really difficult. So when I was saying to my husband, no, we're not going to go, that was decision in my mind was made around we have a son in school in this difficult situation and my husband, while people all around him are losing their jobs, he still has a job, I still have a job, we should stay here because if we go to Australia, then we're going to, you know, spend however much money it will be to get there Mm -hmm. and then have to support ourselves. And that's everyone's nightmare being in your early 50s and not being able to be re-employed in in your home country. So, so look, I'm not trying to make excuses for what I said. I still stand by it, but I just want to know when I'll hopefully one day when I'll know whether we've made the right decision or not. But you can never know. You can never know, but, well, I hope. Kirsty, Kirsty. Yes. Last week you you made a very bold statement and <laughs> let's review our bold statements from last week and set our new statements for the coming week. So what was your bold statement from last week to remind I the group? I said no booze for the week, which I did. And so I've been booze-free for 11 days, meaning... Feb. Hang on, Did, didn't you just go to a winery for lunch? I did. And I did. I had that wavering moment where we were at lunch and my husband said, are you going to have a glass of wine? And I thought, oh, it's sunshine. And my daughter, who's also been booze through with me, said, I am. And I went, okay, I'll have a glass of wine. I did what I said I was going to do, no booze. So I'm now going to start again as of tomorrow and do no booze for another week. And I'm also doing apple cider vinegar every day. Icy, icy cold water, like lots and lots of ice cube cubes sort of crushed up in a glass. I think I'm almost kind of convincing myself that it's, it's alcoholic. Fair enough. Now, Nikki, yours was that you were going to write your presentation last weekend, over the weekend. How did you go? Yes. Well, just at the same time I was preparing to write my presentation, all these visa issues and passport issues popped up. So I have to say that I did not meet my goal of my bold statement, which really lets the team down, Kirsty, because first week you did and I didn't. I did did do some of it. I haven't finished it. So I would have to say that that's going to roll into my bold statement from this week. And my my second part of my statement for this week is I am going to lodge all of the passport and visa requirements. So when we have this conversation next week, they are in my rear view mirror <laughs> and not in my dreams. Okay, Nikki, I'm going to quickly whiz through my three favorite things and then I want to hear yours. So I read an article this week, which um, sort of answered a lot of questions I'd had recently about Instagram. I think for those of us who used to really enjoy Instagram and haven't been able to put their finger on sort of what's driving them bonkers about Instagram now, I think this article is gives you a really good breakdown of really how they've ruined Instagram and made it more like Facebook. <laughs> and um, the article, I think the headline says something like that about the year that Instagram turned into Facebook or whatever. But it breaks it down. You know when you go, yeah, 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 I know you've moved that button to there and I know you've done this to here, but why Why do I just not enjoy this anymore? Why doesn't it feel, it feel as authentic, authentic as it used to? So the, the new 
series of features that they have now are largely focused on getting you to just use the app for longer. Um, and they've introduced a few things like Instagram DMs that are much more like Facebook Messenger. They've got Instagram Reels, which of course are the clone of TikTok. And, you know, where we used to post a photo is now where we're meant to go to shop. And what used to happen is once you sort of got through what your friends had posted, you now get this endless row of sort of algorithm recommended posts for you as well. Um, So the whole idea is come on, spend more time, spend more time, spend more time, which is completely the opposite of what the original CEO of Instagram had in mind, which was that he wanted the app to be very intentional and to be a very positive experience. So the co-founders of Instagram left in 2018. And while things sort of looked very quiet in 2019, like it looked like there'd only been a couple of sort of minor changes, now that we've sort of gone through 2020, you can see that it's all really completely changed. So the guy who's now running Instagram's feed is the guy who used to run Facebook's feed, a guy called Adam Masiri. And really, he's just working on that whole just keep using it like a like you'd use a poker machine just keep rolling keep rolling keep rolling so yes i want to ask you then do you spend more how do you spend your time on instagram so i don't ever look at recommended um things on instagram whereas i know my yeah whereas i know my children do that's where they get a lot of their stuff from Ah, Um, so it's working yes (laughs) Yeah, exactly, and um, which is what I find interesting, you know. And I and I think if you asked anyone our age, Nikki, they'd say that they want to see what their friends are doing, and they want to see what they've picked as their interests are. Do you know that's what they want it for? Whereas that's not what my children want it for. They want to. They're quite happy to do the mindless hours of recommendations and be what they consider like youtube um was to them of just being entertained yeah i don't i don't spend a lot of time in my feed i spend far more time in my stories on instagram than i used to because i think i've that's what i find annoying about the feed and i feel like in the stories you can flick past the recommended ad ad stuff it's easier to quickly do that whereas in the yes. feed, I think it takes longer. Anyway, I was just interested. But, yes, that's a great summation. I miss the pretty pictures, Nikki. That's what I miss. I miss the pretty pictures. I've just mm. realised that that's – I used to really enjoy those – the art of Instagram, whereas now I'm getting talked to a lot more. Yes, good point, mm. good point. I like what you got. What else you got, Kirsty? Very thoughtful, very thoughtful. <laughs> okay. In, in advance of my trashy, just here's what I got. Thing. <laughs> now, I know you are a follower of How to Fail, and this was a recommendation from Emma Morell. She sent it to me during the week saying, listen to Jamila Jamil, who uh, Jamila Jamil I had watched on, oh, God, Nikki, help me out. What was it called? The Happy oh, Place? Just- that the good the good place place. okay so jamila jamila jamil was on the good place she was a highly unlikable character on the good place but she was excellent at her job i thought it was a very timely discussion i don't know if you've watched the britney um 
a documentary that everyone's talking about at the moment, Nikki. I haven't watched it, but I've heard the discussion of, and I, you know, and I've yes. nodded along to most of the discussions I've heard women make about how poorly Britney was speak was treated and how she was basically mauled and attacked by the media at the time and we wouldn't stand for it now. So this is this is an interesting discussion. There's no it it's along that line of talking about obedient celebrities who are publicly trained, you know, that smile even though they're sad and have the right weight and keep quiet and stay in their lane and they don't want to appear crazy or difficult and they're basically being likable. Um and, you know, that they're not to discuss anything that makes people feel remotely uncomfortable in the mainstream. So she sort of addresses the fear of failure and public shaming because she has been publicly shamed and the the rubbish that is perfection, that it's not just about looking perfect it's about having a perfect mind and perfect behavior you know nobody can take a um you know take misstep or do something wrong and you know this week nikki it's i watched my mother look at me this week with that with maybe that in mind in that uh we have a uh, a media head here, a guy called Eddie Maguire, who is also the president of a football club. And he has said many things that I have really disliked over his career. And I've been, I guess, probably waiting for his his major fall to happen because like many people would have where you've thought how have you gotten away with this for all these years you know you've said so many things that are shocking and terrible and why have you continued to get away with this and then this week it happened you know he was served his just desserts and uh, he had to resign from his position and I was sitting at my mother's house and we were watching the news and we were watching his tearful farewell where he, they then shot to his son, who's now an adult, but his son was crying, you know, behind his face mask because, you know, <laughs> pandemic. And I was less than forgiving and less than, um, you know, I was sort of like, oh, <laughs> you know. And my mother was horrified with me, like, because in her generation, it was like, he's done the wrong thing. He said he's done the wrong thing. This is a catastrophic moment for his family. They are all clearly traumatised. What is it with you people that you can't just say, okay, great, you need to go, that is that? Why are you revelling in it? Do you know almost in the what? what is this pile-on about? I don't understand the pile-on. And, you know, I was totally guilty of it because I, I was – reveling in it I guess because I yeah so anyway I'm off track but that's why I liked her conversation because it did make me um it made me think and then the last thing Nikki is an article from two years ago that um uh I thought I wanted to recycle and bring back it was in the Guardian and it said what Google and Facebook know about you there's a lot of discussion in Australia at the moment about Google and Facebook if anyone's following mm. uh internationally we're looking at are we still going to have google in um australia and are we going to start charging them for their media links which i'm really interested in it's just an interesting ex- exercise if you want to see um exactly how much 
information they have on you and um so i'll put the link there and it's very easy to click on and and have a look at what google and facebook have on you okay tell me your three okay my three so someone messaged me last week and said nikki bridgerton are you kidding me and i was like my job here on this podcast is to bring all the top (laughs) trash tv so people are not missing out on anything so who am i if i'm not the girl telling you what the current pulp fiction is and that is what it is so along those veins i'd like to introduce everybody who hasn't got there yet to firefly lane which is also on netflix (laughs) and firefly lane of course has uh katherine heigl and the second becky from roseanne because when you look at her you think who is that she's so familiar uh, whose oh, is name... this when they're the friends and they one ends up working in television? And... That's it. Is that's that... it. That's ah. it. And it's got an Australian actor in it called Ben Lawson, and it's it's so peculiar yes. because one he talks in an Australian accent the whole time, which is sometimes unusual, and they never explain that he's Australian. Like it's because usually in. Uh, I want to say American TV shows, they're always explaining like why he's talking with another accent and where he's from and really playing up his, you know, nationality for a reason or other. But isn't they don't. He, isn't, isn't he the one that wrote that beautiful poem last year in the bushfires? He did write a beautiful poem and it's come out as a book. And it went yes. viral, didn't yes. it? Yeah. And, and I didn't really, but apparently he used to be in Neighbours, but that was way after I left Australia. So I haven't really seen him before. <laughs> but in this... He has a bad wig in, in so it's sort of it a runs wig. a wig. Well, it's got to be a wig. Someone tell me if they watched it. It's not a wig, but in in Firefly Lane, it's a story. It's based on a book, a, a series of novels, apparently, um, a la Bridgerton, and it's a story of of a friendship. And uh, he plays the role of a TV producer, and the story is told in three parallel lines. So all through every episode, you've got them as the, the friends as teenagers the friends in their early 20s and the friends as they are now in their uh, mid 40s so it's it's really got this sort of woven sort of thing but i swear in the thing when they're in their 20s he's wearing a wig tell me he's not someone but the the most okay. important thing about this is that he he's in one of the the current current scenes he is sitting on a couch wearing a queensland state of origin jersey and i haven't seen anybody that's watched it that hasn't gone and commented on social media check him out in the origin and he's actually (laughs) his instagram bio now says bringing state of origin journeys to netflix since 2021 (laughs) that's that's his bio (laughs) so anyway it's a bit funny and uh, but i look it's just a rollicking you know it's it's uh what was the bet midler one um beaches beaches it's like you know beaches for for netflix uh, a little is bit it, is it like no one's died no one's dying or, or yet but beaches yeah. light is it beaches Beach, light beaches light beaches light but you know i'm bringing it to you firefly lane okay uh the other thing i want to say is um back to my political roots um, it's all gone quiet a little bit on the American political front, or depending how you look at it. But there is a great podcast by an Australian journalist, Jonathan Swan, called How It Happened. Uh, mm-hmm. He is a journalist for Axios. And uh, it, it's basically, it's it's called The Last Days of Trump. And it's, sorry, it's called How It's Happened, The Last Days of Trump. And 
I wondered now that it's over, like now Donald Trump is no longer president, would I be interested in this particular podcast? And I started listening to it and it's like he's sitting in the corner of a bar at the pub just telling you this amazing story. And he starts off each episode by saying, you know, uh, all the people that spoke to me uh, spoke on deep background and they couldn't be identified but basically he just takes you into the oval office and says and then donald trump did this and then someone stood up and threw papers on the floor and then someone said this (gasps) and it's really it's it's more interesting than you think you get really sucked into it i think it's sort of had three or four episodes so far but it's um it's really good and it's it's for the time between the election and and the inauguration so it's during those very sort of fraught days it's called how it it's called how it happened that's it that's it. And okay, the last I'm putting it in my phone now. Okay. And the last one is one of our old favorites, Rough Translation podcast by NPR that always do sort of international stories. And at the moment they're doing a series on identity and belonging. And I think it's pretty much a must listen, a must listen for expats, for TCKs and all their family members. Because even if you haven't thought about it, someone else in your family has thought about it. So the first episode was called Our Boxes. And so it's ourselves not fitting in the boxes that people try to put you in. And it starts off with an amazing story about a Brazilian girl who moved to the US and was in school and was learning all about Rosa Parks and, um, you know, sitting at the back of the bus, et cetera, et cetera. And then they asked everybody, in the room like if you were on that bus who wouldn't be allowed to sit at the front of the bus like stand up if you wouldn't no sit down if you wouldn't be allowed to sit at the front of the bus and she kept standing up and the american kids looked at her and said dude you're colored you have to sit down and she said i had never thought of myself as a colored person because in brazil she's a white person because the way brazil looks at color and the way the u.s looks at color is two totally different things and so it really uh made me think or make makes anyone who listens to it think about how depending the situation that you're in the perception of what you are and who you are is totally different which of course we know but you know how npr is so clever at making podcasts and really just putting it out to you and making it seem more very straightforward the second episode in the series which was this week was called boxing back so it's a continuation of last week and it's got people reacting to the the first series and it's got another uh, another great range of stories and so i'd really recommend it to anyone uh the rough translation podcast of course is doing the current series called our boxes so yeah all right nikki moffat i look forward to talking to you next week um oh i look forward to finding a new anonymous question yes so please send us your questions so we can go and find out the answer for you. Um, best of luck, Nikki, with the uh, passports and the driving and the getting it done. Um, we we bring you this podcast on Friday uh, afternoon, my time, Friday morning, Nikki's time. And this is something you're needing to do today. Is that right? That's it. It's 8.46 and by 10 a.m. I have to leave for my Berlin round trip. So okay. I'll be off. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Wishing you the best. best. All right. See you later. Have a great weekend. Bye. You too. Bye.